uh, which I don't know if that was the smartest idea, but that's what we did. Uh, and don't tell anyone, don't let this get out of here, but uh, she took the initiative at maybe a younger age than we actually should have started driving at. I won't give you a number, uh, but what she would do is she would take us over to the retirement community where my grandparents lived. It was a gated community, so there weren't public drivers in there. And in Arizona in the summer, if you were over the age of 65 and retired, you don't stay in Arizona. You go back to Iowa or Minnesota or wherever you're from. So we could go drive around this gated community where all of the residents were back in their Midwestern hometowns and sort of be assured that there wouldn't be anybody on the streets. And so I, I was thinking this week about uh, one of the lessons I learned when I was learning how to drive. And in hindsight, I know this lesson isn't quite right because my mom taught us that you are supposed to drive 10 miles over the speed limit. <laughs> like it's an expectation that you should do that. So if, it, if, if a sign says it's 65, it, it, it means 75. Of course, I know now that that's not exactly right. The speed limit is actually the speed limit. That's what it does. It limits how fast you're allowed to drive. But I got to thinking about this this week, about the speed limit. It, it must have been decided by somebody who knows better, right? There's a reason the speed limit is something. And I was thinking about this because our scripture for this week deals with the law, this big word, law, which made me think immediately, why is there a speed limit? Is the speed limit just an arbitrary number? Or is there some meaning behind it? Something that it's trying to accomplish? And of course there are goals for having, there's a reason you have a speed limit. Uh, everyone driving at the same speed at the same time creates a desired order, right? Things are as they're supposed to be. Driving slower also generally results in fewer traffic fatalities. Of course, there's an exception. Please don't drive slow in the left lane. Please don't drive slow in the left lane. If you're one of those people, please get over. You can also think about fuel efficiency, right? Driving at certain speeds is, is considered more fuel efficient. So the point is that the speed limit isn't the speed limit just because as though someone with some power handed it down from on high though in some ways the government is a power on high handing it down. But the speed limit is set because of what it accomplishes. Drivers drive safer. They drive more reasonably. Like, you probably, it's probably okay that I-65 has a 65 mile an hour speed limit, but Greenbush, by where we live, probably shouldn't be 65. Although some people think it ought to be. But I, when you think about Jesus talking about the law, we have to remember this. There's a point to the law. It's not just handed down on high. It's not just handed down arbitrarily. But it's trying to accomplish something. And from Jesus' perspective, the law is really trying to accomplish two things. It reminds us to love God. And it directs us to love one another. 
And so with that in mind, we're going to listen to Jesus talk a little bit about the law in Matthew chapter 5. Let's hear this reading for today. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of the law will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or, for, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of great kings. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. May God bless this reading. What is the law? You know, in a biblical perspective, we, we often as Christians think about the Ten Commandments, but in the Torah, there's actually 613 of them. Uh, I Laws that have to do with dietary practices, with the clothes you wear, with what to do with your fields, all sorts of laws. And the point of these laws, according to the Bible, uh, there are several different explanations about what they're for. So if you go back and read in the Torah, there are all these familiar refrains. Before giving a new set of laws, God says to the people, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and I rescued you. 
Often this refrain comes before and after a law that has to do with the importance, not just of loving your neighbor, but of actively not abusing them. So there are laws in the Torah about charging too much interest. There are laws about treating immigrants well. There are laws about not abusing servants. And in fact, rules for when you should release them. And in a way, these laws are meant to reshape people. You see, the people are coming out of slavery in Egypt. And the people of Israel are all of a sudden going to have to figure out how to govern themselves. And if all you've ever known is Egypt, then you probably think that's the right way to govern. And so the goal of the law, the reason God gives them the law, is to say, don't repeat the sins of Egypt. Don't do the same thing. You need to be a different kind of people, a people set apart. So that's one explanation for the law. Later, Jewish scholars became really famous for boiling down the commandments to the two most important. You, we know this passage in the Gospels, right, where somebody asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he answers, love the Lord your God, and the other is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Jesus isn't making that answer up. That's actually a well-respected answer to the question. For instance, there was a rabbi named Hillel the Elder who famously said, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. That is the whole Torah. The rest is explanation. Go and learn. And so the entire Torah, according to Hillel, can be summed up in this commentary. And that's the point of the law, that we should love one another. And Hillel lived about 100 years before Jesus was born. So this answer was a familiar, respected answer to the question. And Jesus is repeating this answer. And so today we get to our gospel reading and we hear Jesus again make this bold statement about the law that he has come not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And he says that not one letter will drop from the law until all of this is accomplished. And that is a bold statement. Of course, it's made all the more bold because later in the Gospel of Matthew, he's going to be accused of breaking the law. And quite frankly, he is. Like an Arizona driver going 10 miles over the speed limit, Jesus is extending the leeway on the law. In Matthew 12, Jesus and his disciples are going through a grain field on the Sabbath day. And in Jewish law, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. There are rules about what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. And one of his disciples picks a grain of wheat, which is on the list of things you can't do on the Sabbath. You're supposed to rest, not work. Then later that day, there's a man who the, the scripture tells us has a deformed hand and he comes to Jesus to be healed. And again, by the letter of the law, 
you're not supposed to heal people on the Sabbath. That counts as work. But of course we know Jesus does it anyways. Jesus knows the law and says that he has come to fulfill it and not abolish it, and yet the way he's treating it is a little bit suspect. But I think in these situations, he's really reinterpreting the law. He's, he's not asking the question, what is the law? But he's asking, what is it for? What is it trying to accomplish? And it's for loving your neighbor. So if the law gets in the way of loving your neighbor, then you're not interpreting it right. Then you've missed the point of it. If the law causes harm to your neighbor, well, you've missed something. You need to go back and read it again and think about it again. We can hear this a little bit in our passage for today because Jesus follows up his bold statement with a number of examples of laws that he is changing. And he's not exactly changing them. He's really upping the ante on them. For instance, we hear this law where he says that it is written that you can divorce your wife by giving her a certificate. And this is lawful. You're allowed to do this. And if you're not thinking about loving others, then you'd have no problem with it. It is legal. But it's not necessarily loving. And in the ancient world, this is even a little bit more complex because in the ancient world, we know that women didn't have the same rights that they do today. In fact, we know that women didn't have very many rights at all in the time of Jesus. And so there is this thing, if you were a woman, your access to the marketplace, to being able to participate in society was through the men in your life. So first this meant the father. And then in marriage, the father would hand off the woman to another man, which is where the symbolism of that in weddings today comes from. Women needed these men to help them access the world around them. And so it's obviously good that we don't do this anymore. It's very good that we've gotten rid of this structure and this understanding of, of women's rights. But in Jesus' time, they did think this. And so you've got to think about this law about divorcing a woman. You can divorce a woman, but think about what you're doing in this time. Think about what it would mean for the woman. It's not just that there would be shame associated with the marriage ending. It's also about her lack of access to the marketplace. This would mean her loss of access to her livelihood. And actually, the Jewish law understands this a little bit. There's another law in the Torah called a leveret law. Basically, it says that if your brother, if you were a man and your brother died, you were required to marry his wife for the same reasons. Because once she lost her husband, she would have lost her access to the marketplace. And so the same principle is at work here. A woman who's been divorced well, she needs someone, someone to give her access to the marketplace. And so when Jesus is saying this about the law, he's not simply saying that God handed down a law and you should follow it. 
He is saying that this law still allows you to cause harm to your wife, to cause harm to your neighbor. And the point of the law is that we're supposed to love one another. So even though you're technically allowed to do it, don't. And you can extend this to all of these laws, right? If the only law is don't murder, well, the list of harmful things you can do before that's pretty long. And Jesus is saying that the law do not murder is not, it's not about what you can and can't do. It's about how you treat your neighbor. And so don't just not murder them, but make sure that if you're angry, you figure out how to resolve it. That's the point of the law. The point of the law is that we should love one another. So even though you're technically allowed to harm them, don't. This is one of the things with the law from a biblical perspective and definitely from Jesus. It's not just about doing and not doing certain things. It's not really even just the law, plain and simple. It's supposed to accomplish something. It's supposed to do something. It's supposed to love our neighbor. And if following the letter of the law doesn't support loving your neighbor, then don't do it. If the law says that you're allowed to do something, but that something hurts your neighbor, don't do it. This is the key interpretive function of Jesus' teaching, of his understanding of the law. Really, the the title of the sermon is a little bit misleading. I, I called it, Is It Legal? And that's really completely the wrong question when you're talking about Jesus. We can even think about, sometimes Christians ask the question, is it, is it biblical? And that question sounds right, but there are also a whole bunch of people in the Bible who do things they're not supposed to do. So asking, is it biblical, is also a little bit challenging. But the right question according to Jesus' teachings, is always, is it loving? If you do that, well, then we can, we can really talk about becoming disciples of Christ. Because if you ask the question, is it loving, then you'll embody the kingdom that Jesus is, is proclaiming. When we start to learn to treat others by the law of love and not the letter of the law, well, that's what really following Jesus looks like. So who is it that we know who needs love? Who is it that we know, maybe they've even been scarred by folks who proclaim the letter of the law and not the law of love. Who needs to hear that God loves them? That no matter what others have said about them, that they are loved. Because that message of love, that's what's most important to Jesus. And that is what it looks like to fulfill the love, to fulfill the law, to proclaim God's love, to announce God's kingdom, and to seek to love others. Amen. As we gather for worship today, we invite you to connect with us. If you're worshiping with us for the first time, we would love to get to know more about you. And that includes if you're online right now. 
if you want to stop me after worship and say hi, or if you want to leave a message uh, on Facebook or YouTube or wherever you're at online, we would love to get to know more about you.